Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Multifamily Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wolber, and I'm really excited about today's conversation. I was able to sit down with Dom Beveridge. He is a principal at both 20 for 20 as well as D2 Demand Solutions. He's got quite the background in the multifamily space with a lot of expertise on both the technology and the client operator side. In this show, we talk through the most recent publication of 20 for 20, all types of thought leadership of the big changes that the client side is looking to make this year in the industry, some of the things he heard while at AIM this past week, and also some of the things he's most excited about when it comes to leasing technology, the move towards centralization, and how to select good best-in-breed technology. This is a really fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Let's get into it. All right. Well, Dom, I'm really happy to finally have you on the podcast. Thank you a ton for joining me today. Not at all. It's great to, uh, uh, great to be here. I would love to start up front on the difference between D2 and 20 for 20 and the why for both. Could you start with some context on the firms you represent? DC Demand is Donald Davidoff's um, consulting firm that I've, uh, that I've worked with for, for a few years now. D2 is primarily focused on revenue management. Pretty much everything that's to do with revenue management, D2 has done in some way, shape, or form, from running, you know, supporting people's revenue management systems and being an outsourced department, to consulting on how people can do it better, to even like building some systems as well. So D2 is the sort of industry expert resource on um, on revenue management. But a few years ago, like about four years ago, we we just started talking to people about technology. You know, I had just moved over from RealPage where, where I'd been getting absolutely immersed in, in their entire stack. So, I, uh, you know, I, I was very familiar with how lots of different things besides revenue management works. And really, where 2020 got started, we were going to Optech and we were just thinking, what are we going to talk to people about at Optech? We, we, we know most of the people we want to talk to uh, have done for a long time. We hit on this idea that, well, at Optech, everyone's just getting pitch technology all week. So why don't we try and do the opposite? Why don't we say we'd love to have a sort of end of year perspective kind of conversation? We'll talk to a bunch of people and whatever we whatever we find, we'll write it up in, in some kind of paper or article or something. And uh, lot, lots of people that we were targeting uh, said yes. And so we started talking to people. And then we found after a while, wow, they're, they're telling us really interesting stuff, like the stuff that we didn't know about, like the, that we didn't expect to, to hear about. And so it grew into a bit more of a, uh, a publication, like a bit more of a formal research piece. So we released the first one, it got a way bigger response than we expected it to. We we sort of improved it the next year. And then it, it, it basically became this uh, this annual thing. And we reached this point this year where um, where we decided it's time for for twenty for twenty to become its own thing. Like I, I spend most of my time now on working with technology companies that are trying to find ways to to reach uh, new customers, engage the market, and so on. Uh, so twenty for twenty sort of splits out to be a a technology specific consulting and, and publishing firm. Um, and so that that's basically where the delineation is. That's awesome. I got to think that boomeranging back from the real page days back into focusing more on the tech side has also been a welcome transition for you after infusing voice of client for the last several years in revenue management. That's got to be a fun shift and resource for yourself. Yeah, it has. And it, it, there's just so much new tech right now. I mean, the amount of tech that people are buying just keeps growing. And and some of the stuff is really new, as I'm, I'm sure we'll probably go on to, um, um, to, to talk about. 
But yeah, just um, personally, I'm sort of motivated by new technologies and what, what it's actually doing to change the lives of the people in the industry and change people's jobs and change experiences and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to get to focus on that. I read 20 for 20, like inside and out, printed it off. Most of my companies read it. They've heard about it from me on Slack. Selfishly representing Rent Dynamics, I was really happy to see that leasing tech was really kind of in the in the core of the conversation, largely feeding into staffing models, uh, the rise of best in breed, which we'll talk about today. But also, I think you and I share kind of a excitement in the recency window because AIM, it was really top of mind as well. But were there any overarching standouts for you? in 20 for 20 that were maybe surprises or things you weren't necessarily expecting in the study? One of the things that I, I really enjoy particularly just about doing this each year is that every year you will learn that you're thinking about something the wrong way. So one of the biggest things this year was we, we really wanted to understand what people are doing with centralization. We, we, we sort of know from clients just anecdotally around the industry that how do we centralize functions like uh, maintenance and, and, and leasing, for example, is a, is, a, is a real top of mind, like big driver in the industry right now. And so we had sort of thought about it from the perspective of, well, if, if you look at what UDR and Avalon Bay publicly say that they're doing in terms of you know, taking staff off-site at some um, properties, the rest of the industry at some pace or other is going to follow that, like logically, that's that's the way that it works. So we had this idea of a sort of continuum to, to, to what they say they're doing, where we are today, and where is everybody on that continuum. The, the big finding was that there is no continuum. You, you have to understand a few things about the specifics of the, uh, of the company to understand how they would go about something like centralization. So the, the, the two things we, we talk about in the um, in the conclusions of the book, you'll remember it's the main things you have to understand is to what extent does the company control its operating environment? Like to what extent does it choose its tech, run its own PL, decide everything about hiring. And the other thing is how close together are its properties. And that then starts to make sense of how people are, uh, are looking at this. If you're a UDR or an Avalon Bay, you have complete control of your environment. You have really deep IT resources compared to the rest of the industry, and you've got lots of properties that are in the same market. So you've got this very ideal set of conditions for, for centralizing functions. Now, what you realize is most of the industry isn't like that at all. Like most, most of the industry, they either, you know, they fall into one of these other quadrants, either they have lots of properties in a sub-market, but lots of stakeholders, you know, like the fee manager problem. Or just numerically, I think the most largest number of companies in the industry fall into this quadrant where I do have control over my properties, but they're not that close together, right? So they're, they're just a bit more scattered. So things like campusing staff is, is less feasible for, for, for companies like that. And you'll know as a uh, your call center provider, like, like there are, there is this economic advantage. If you're trying to train a central team to sell a sub-market, you want to have a lot of units to sell in that sub-market to, to make the, the numbers work really well, right? So, so, so the way that people um, approach this is, is, is different. Like for, for, if I'm a, a fee manager, I kind of have to come up with a value prop for this that I could sell to one company at a time. On the other side of it, if I'm, uh, you know, my, my portfolio is kind of spread out, I may be thinking about this less in terms of centralization and more as a sort of virtualization thing where like what, what processes can I 
kind of move into a, a into a central function. And then once I've achieved all those economies, do I have an opportunity to change my staffing model? That seems to be more the way that some um, companies think about this. So one of the things that I've obviously just obsessed with seeing in the industry, but also seeing on the realm of B2B, the technology side that I sit on is that centralization is a blanket statement can mean a lot to a lot of different people. And I'm curious if you're seeing in conversation or in your study, any specific places that you're seeing people want to start or where it makes the most most sense to start from a centralization perspective? Because not everyone can standardize leasing the same way based on density of, of property, for example. Same thing with maintenance. But are you seeing any trends in terms of where people on the client operator side are looking to centralize staff or resources? We could sort of start with the with the why behind it uh, as well. So if, if you look at something like, I, I mean, you'll see things that, that are becoming more and more common, like the idea of taking you're taking bookkeeping out of property and putting it into shared services. Like that's really interesting because it, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons, right? And if we, we think about the sort of why behind that, lots of property managers and or COOs, like heads of property management, are of this view that we just generally ask property management, like property staff, to be good at too many things now, right? So so that's one thing that that, that sort of makes sense of this. Another thing, though, is that if you think about it in terms of the career path of the people that you're um, you're employing, you're often promoting like a leasing agent into an assistant property manager role, where the assistant property manager role, as we traditionally think about it, is very heavy on bookkeeping. Well, if you're good at leasing, like you, you've got no particular background in um, in accounting, so why does it make sense to take this detour? into a, a job that's very heavy on uh, on accounting, where accounting is getting more complicated as you think about the more different ways to pay that there are. And uh, so that, for, for, for a combination of we can do the job better, we can make people's careers better, it's a natural thing to take out of property management. That that seems to be something that more and more people do, and it, and it makes perfect sense that they, um, uh, that they do that. If you, if you look at maintenance and leasing, a lot of people, you have this just very pragmatic problem that it's just getting really hard. To, it's got really hard to hire people and it's not obvious. There's no obvious end in sight for, for, this, uh, for this problem. So maybe we just need to figure out some ways to be less exposed to, uh, uh, you know, to, to this than we, uh, than we are. So, you know, when, when you look at things like smart rent buying site plan, for example, you start to see, okay, if, if I'm if I'm starting to, to have the systems that manage buildings and the systems that organize maintenance coming coming together, you can see how you can remove a bunch of redundancy from from a, a people intensive thing like um, like maintenance, for example. And so I don't know, those are some of the things that I that, that you see out there in the industry. And I mean, I think you're spot on. Like, I think we're seeing some like emerging trends from new consolidators in the space. I think SmartRent's going to be someone who will be able to consolidate, you know, a fraction of the experience that both customers and residents have with their technology by leading through a new style of M&A, which I think is going to be really cool to see. And I also think that it's really great thought leadership that you're bringing in because I think centralization has been such a fast thing to talk about that I think there's still almost a lacking like practical application for what it looks like in the industry. And I think it's exciting to see more of that coming to light. 
Yeah, well, one thing actually, I mean, you mentioned a moment ago, but I, uh, I was on a panel with Seriassi of, uh, of NMHC and Tim Hermeling of, um, of Cortland Partners, where we were trying to do a sort of side-by-side comparison between 20 for 20 findings and um, the NMHC Grace Hill Rental Preference Study to try and sort of identify some of the differences. One of the things that the things that we talked about for a while that I do think is is interesting is this this idea. Sarah got some new stats on people's attitudes towards rinsing sight unseen, and it seems that, that there is actually some pretty good evidence in that data set that some um, that pe- that more people would would do it. I think that just just. Uh, on a, a, a separate project, I've been talking to a bunch of single-family operators, um, and in some markets, you know, like in some California markets, for example, where inventory is really, really tight, houses like single-family homes are getting rent, rented sight unseen, or like where the first few are invariably leases. Like so, so you look at it and you think, okay, that based on the research renters at least say that they would consider renting sites unseen. There is definitely a premise in single family where where people do it. The thing that I thought was interesting is, you know, I talked to these 20 execs about specifically what they're doing in terms of automating leasing. None of them seems to be solving that problem. They're sort of thinking about how do we centralize some roles? How do we make life easier for properties? How do we answer the phone quicker? Like they're, they're solving sort of automation problems like that. But how do we deliver a completely virtual experience that's good enough that pe- lots of people will start opting to do it? That, I think, doesn't feel like it's something that's got the energy behind it that maybe it might have. I agree. Well, it's it's interesting. It feeds right into the, the best of breed component that I think you really highlighted in a loud and proud way in 20 for 20. But I'd say that on the technology side at AIM just this past week, it felt like more people than I've ever talked to before in my time in the in the industry are actively looking to invest in new technology. And there was just an attitude around that. And one of the things that I heard that was really unique from someone on the client side that's looking to change CRMs this year is he challenged me with the thought. He said, when you implement a new CRM, he asked what I use. I said, we use Salesforce. He said, you don't expect to buy Salesforce and to be done, do you? You expect to buy Salesforce and then add the right technology on top of it to make sure that the experience you're creating for your future customers, your current customers, and your employees is rich in sales enablement. You need emailing software. You need video software. You need reporting and forecasting software. The engine is the CRM, but you have to enrich it with best in breed. And he thinks that the industry is finally seeing that same opportunity that it's never going to be a one-stop shop. you got to be okay playing nice. And I think the world of integration, workflow, ease of use is about to go next level for us. Yeah, I can I can definitely see it. I mean, we we wrote about this extensively like one year ago. Like one of the big stories just in technology generally a year ago was that several of the big companies that we that we interviewed were in the process of moving off legacy CRM and onto best of breed. That's a big deal. Like that, that's a big. You know, these were fifty thousand unit plus like portfolios. That that's a big switch to flick. So, what's the reason why all of a sudden people are people are taking this decision? The, the answers that we got to that question were, were pretty instructive. Like, the, there are really two things that you can learn from this. One is that the legacy platform just can't 
innovate at the pace that these companies needed them to, right? So they have many, 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 many customers. The, the, their integration within their own stack is, uh, it's, it's much more difficult to change a platform like that than it is to, to take a best of breed solution and, uh, and improve it. Also culturally, you know, that as, as you know, they're very, um, they're very sort of different approaches. Um, but the other thing is what, what's the source of innovation that they need to, to tackle that they, they really need to, um, uh, you know, that, that convinces them that they need to burn the calories on, uh, on changing CRMs. And you, you, you realize it was mostly to do with your know, companies who really want to radically transform the way that they lease. So it's things like, um, uh, it, it's things like centralization, the opportunity to, uh, to sort of automate. How do we how do we really leverage AI? Like you 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 want to put AI more centrally into the um, uh, into the leasing process, and you you can tell even at AIM this week there were some fascinating ideas, like speculations about how <laughs> about how AI is going to change the leasing process. But you you, you sort of realise that it's an important enough thing where people want to move quickly enough, changing it that. Uh, Best of breed suddenly has this this massive uh, uh, renaissance in um, in leasing tech in particular. During your session with Sarah and Tim, I, I felt like you did a really nice job of talking about the prospect expectations with automation, speed, response, but also like a nice balance of you know it can't just be a default to automating everything because there's still mm-hmm. an importance of human touch tailoring the experience based on the needs and demands of whoever you're speaking with. You also got into some of that in 20 for 20, but are you seeing any early signs of the best almost table stake areas where people need to be thinking about automation if they aren't already? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we talked a lot about AI leasing and that that's an area where that's the the area that's seen the fastest growth in terms of um, uh, just just projects that the people weren't doing a year ago that they've either done or are in the process of doing like right now. There's a couple of a couple of interesting things about that. People still talk use sort of chatbot and AI leasing sort of interchangeably. They're quite different things. They they're, they're doing different. They're addressing different parts of the. Uh, the leasing process. The, the, the thing that I'm the most interested in is when, when I talk about AI leasing agents, I'm thinking of the sort of uh, natural language processing apps that specifically do leasing agent work, right? They pick up the phone, they run the conversation, they take it through to, you know, to booking tour and who knows what other things they'll, they'll, they'll start to do <laughs> once, uh, you know, once, once everybody started to, uh, um, started to do that. That's the area that we saw a huge uptick in over the last year what's what's sort of interesting about it is that there's um although lots of companies have have been doing it that there isn't an obvious consensus on what problem it's solving so you see you'll get everything from one end of the scale it's this is absolute prime mover in in us reducing property headcount and then at the opposite end it's this is not about reducing property headcount this is about making removing friction from um, from properties and then sort of in the middle, you've got lots of other interesting, really interesting um, drivers for it. So, so one, one sort of big company that had, that had rolled it out across their portfolio, you know, when, when you, uh, you know, we asked a lot about why, why are you doing this? What benefit are you, are you after? They told me that um, we now realize some of the peaks of communication are so big, you know, th- there will be periods that, are, you know, this, this AI is handling maybe 500 inquiries at the same time. 
right? Just just crazy peaks in demand at some uh, some particular periods, and there's no way you could you could staff up for 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 that. So now now that that's an interesting concept. It's also they didn't know about that until they rolled out AI across <laughs> across their entire portfolio. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 sort of cart before the horse in terms of uh, of drivers, but it but it but it's interesting. One one of my favorite ones um, was one of the big fee managers who are either in the pro- have rolled it out extensively and are rolling out uh, rolling it out everywhere. They taught me something that I I hadn't really thought of before, which is that just generally when you think about how you train leasing staff and property staff, you you always have this trade-off between answering the phone and delivering a good outcome and delivering good service, right? So either it's you know, you, you can be good at one or the other, but it's really hard to be good at both. And, you know, just, just you, you, you're asking the person who's talking on the phone, do you rush the person on this call to, to pick up the next one? Do you do you pick up the phone or do you go and help someone with the door across the uh, the hallway? You know, you, you, you've got all these little trade-offs that you you end up forcing people to make, which always compromises at least one of those scores. And what they said, the thing we love about this this AI leasing agent is you no longer have to make that trade-off. You can just tell people your job is to deliver service. Your job is to do the best possible job you can of you know, the people that opt in to, to, to talk to a human, do the best job you can of, of getting them to make a great decision about leasing with you. You, you can train people in more hospitality-related stuff rather than worrying about phone coverage because the, the robot's doing that now. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like that's an area that is transforming faster than most areas in our space. Even two years ago, starting to see some of that AI voice technology that was very early and now seeing how accurate these models are able to be. Mm-hmm. But then I'd, I'd say there's this like radical confliction now because some companies are saying, we're going to hang up on our prospects and we're going to force them to text with us and we're going to use AI to fuel text because Mm -hmm. we believe most people want fast and they can get that via text. But then Mm -hmm. we're still seeing, seeing data that says that, no, we want to talk to someone, but we want to talk to someone quickly. And Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see in terms of, you know, landing these technologies, do we start to see, you know, more introduction of, of better IVR to give the prospect choice? Do you want to Mm -hmm. talk to, a robot? Do you want to text with us or do you want to talk to a live person? Forgive us. It might take a minute to get a hold of us. I'm just really interested to see how how the experience evolves as more of this technology is landed at scale, which I think we're both going to see a lot of in the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, it's 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 true. It's um, I mean, in- integration is the the key. My gut tells me these AIs work where, where you when you've got a really easy way to opt out and talk to a person. So that means you've now got a problem. I mean, as you know, being in the call center business, right? Yep. You've got a that's a hard thing to to staff really well with your own people, right? Even if you're quite a big company, like um, running running your own call center is is quite a suboptimal solution. So, so yeah, what's what's the right um, combination of uh, what's the right combination of AI plus flex, flexible? labor like plus you know user experience i'm still not quite sure what to think about like actual voice robots as well i know there's there's a few companies that are doing that or starting to do that right now i, I just sort of wonder a bit about the state of that technology because it's um it, it's surprising even if the emphasis of an answer is wrong it's sort of surprising how disconcerting that is when you're on a mm-hmm. when you're when you're on a call and they you know, they answer a mundane question with an enthusiastic response. It just sounds very 
uncanny valley kind of uh, <laughs> yeah kind tone of tone matters and i mean it's it's yeah. easy it's easy to frustrate whoever your consumer is if you don't respond at the right tone level speed whatever it might be and you know we've done some early testing on ai voice response and um one of the things that you know we're seeing work is disclose that it's a robot disclose <laughs> that it's not a human so they have that expectation up front Give them the choice to pivot to a human and a potential 10 to 30 second hold time if they need to. And mm -hmm. third, if you can confuse the bot more than twice, you automatically shift it to another avenue. But all mm -hmm. that stuff, I mean, it it is really, really interesting to see because you're spot on. I, I haven't really thought about this that much uh, until this week, but uh, this was talked about in a couple of other sessions. But the, the idea that you could see the AI starting to accompany people on tours. Another thing, we, we talked pretty extensively on, on the panel the other day, just about the state of touring, like with the and how technology is causing touring, and that that to me feels like a very very unsettled part of this. So the, the where where people are right now with 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 self guided tours even doesn't feel to me like it's anywhere near where it will get to a couple of years from now. Like it has, yeah. to, there's, there's lots of things that are kind of odd about the way that um, that we're doing that at the moment, but. You, if you sort of think about like you know an increasingly Gen Z base of of, of renters who who are digitally native, right? Like if my kids' instinct to ask Alexa or Siri or something stuff is uh, is so sort of natural to them, you you sort of think, all right, what what if the the AI that booked the tour with me is effectively accompanying me on this tour and. Uh, and now it's able to answer questions immediately and it knows where I am in the building and um, and it now knows a bunch of things about sentiment. It can now probably make a pretty good prediction of how likely I am to rent. Like, mm -hmm. th th there are lots of ways you can see that technology uh, extending into other bits of the, the, the leasing process. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of hypothesis. I think a lot of like proof of concept. I think we're going to see, and that came through in 20 for 20, like, are you going to mm -hmm. jump ball and are you going to put your feet in the water? But I think we're going to see more and more. I mean, if, if between you and Sarah from NMHC, we're saying 43% would buy sight unseen, my bet would see, we see a sizable amount of people at least raise their hand and try it this year. And if it mm -hmm. lands, you know, they'll probably double down with budgets and then roll it out in 2023. But it's definitely an exciting time to be in the space of, willingness to take some new chances and to invest in going a little bit faster. So it's really cool to see. We talked a lot about this as well, but it's very, um, it's very sort of not one size fits all as well. Like, like I, I suspect the, a lot of the acceptance of things like renting site from seeing, it would be far more common in market in, in like high barriers to entry real estate markets. So where demand constantly outpaces supply yeah, where, where you've got a bit more of a natural concern that, you know, I have to make my decision really quickly. Those seem to me to be the markets where you're, and you've also got a more tech forward, tech savvy kind of um, customer base. Those to me seem like the kind of markets where uh, where virtual leasing could really, could really accelerate. One thing I was curious to get your take on, and I have to assume you spend time doing this professionally. I just don't know. So excuse the ignorance is mm -hmm. I'm hearing more and more from prospective customers that they're planning to bring on a consultant to guide the buying process because it is more complex than it's ever 
been before, but it's also way less emotional than I think it used to be. I think it used to just kind of be work with a company you thought was the coolest, which I do still think being cool matters. But mm-hmm. are you seeing that same shift as you're talking to you know folks on the operations side that they're bringing in an outside resource to guide them through what they should be prioritizing, what they should be looking for, how they should be evaluating, whether or not their organization's even ready to implement said new technology? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there are some companies that are, that are just sort of in the habit of, of innovating quickly and, and, and a bit more aggressively than um, than others. I mean, you, you, you find when you talk to lots and lots of, of multifamily companies, lot, lots of them follow particular like competitors, they, they, you know, everyone pays pretty close attention to what their competitors are doing in um, uh, are doing in markets, and you get different attitudes towards uh, towards innovation. So you see some companies will, will even just hire from outside of their uh, outside of the industry from 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 companies that you know maybe from hospitality or from companies like Disney or some so just someone people who just got a different perspective on how customer experience is supposed to work. You definitely see that that's a minority of companies, and then lots of other companies tend to sort of follow them. So, so people are looking for their sort of um, cues externally on this. I still, I, I still suspect just coming away from AIM this week and having just talked a lot about about this with a lot of different companies. I, I suspect our our bias is to take what we've got and figure out how to do it more quickly or more efficiently and, and, and so on. And that, that, if we think about our model, it's sort of, it's rooted in this idea of coverage of, of an individual building. So we we kind of think about things in terms of what what stuff the, you know, this all started where we've got a patch of dirt, we've got a building on it, we need some people to run that, that, that patch of dirt. There's no other way to to, to have coverage of that building for leasing, maintenance, et cetera, than to hire people who belong to that to that building. When that gets into the PL, that's pro formers, like that sort of ossifies and uh, and stays. And then then some companies start to say, all right, well what 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 things that they they do can we get someone else to do and can and, and can we automate? That that tends to be the way these things get driven. It's it's relatively rare and a big opportunity, frankly, that people think instead about what's the best way to lease apartments. Forget, oh, forget sure. how we do it now. What would be the best way to do it? Let's, let's figure out how to do that. Speaking of, before we close, are there any other components of you know 20 for 20 or the like massive kind of focus you've had recently on content thought leadership, even aimed this past week that you were hoping we'd talk about or that you'd you know personally want to share? Just one of my favorite things, we did this for the first time this year. So we, we chunked our technology into these four groups to, to, to get people to tell us about what they'd done and what they were doing. Because we chunked it that way, we, we took the opportunity to ask people, how do you decide how many dollars you're going to spend on, on this technology? Right? We, we really wanted to get into um, ROI and just, just understanding how people think about um, ROI. Zero out of 80 answers uh suggested that they um that anybody used ROI in their decision to buy a particular technology. Like the, just the ROI in terms of a numerical thing. Mm-hmm. And you know being on the on the vendor side, the way vendors tend to to look at this is if I uh, if we can just sort of characterize the NOI lift that you get from 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 using our your know, solution. Right. So 
my 1% NOI lift gets you this many dollars every year and I only want this many dollars in costs. So this is a no-brainer. But yeah, they tend to think about things in terms of like, what's the silver bullet number that I can I can use to get them? So it's absolutely not causing in the way people make decisions about this. Like nobody buys anything because you showed them some NOI number. It's 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 absolutely as clear as day that um, that's an unhelpful bias. I, I think you and I have talked about this before, but the, the best advice I would give, I think, to, to anybody who's who's trying to engage prospects and is is trying to sell in this in this market is the person that you're selling to, they have these stories that they tell themselves about what makes their business more successful. You know, in, in the case of marketing, it might be we want to do the things that drive traffic towards the most uh, high conversion channel. Like we know if we sort of keep doing that, we don't blow our costs up, the, the, the NOI will follow. If we could. That, that's the kind of uh, philosophy that the people have when they're thinking about um, whether or not they want to buy your stuff. Rather than trying to do a spreadsheet and blow people away with, oh yeah, and if you apply a six cap to this, look at how much, fat. rather than doing stuff like that, get good at figuring out the story that the prospect is telling themselves and make your pitch be about that. That that would be the best advice. <laughs> I would, I, I would give it's so funny because, and this is like kind of giving away some of like my my personal secret sauce. And we have talked about it before, but for anyone who makes it to minute thirty three today, here you go. I think when you see NOI in any vendor's headline or in any vendor's pitch deck, it is this assumptive kind of expectation that that vendors are looking at NOI as the reason to work with you. But like my my core belief has always been that the deals are won or lost in discovery and discernment up front, mm-hmm. seeking to understand your problems, your challenges, what's working today. I'd say half the demos I have on the CRM side for inbound folks, I talk them into staying with their current provider. Like, oh no, you can you can do that in funnel today. You you can already mm-hmm. do those components. Just make sure you talk to the right person. And it earns trust and long tail, it also gets us to the right people that say yes to working with us so that we can serve them at the things we've already talked about today, being great to work with, being fast, being integrate, integration centric, but you were preaching the right song there. I think you're spotted. <laughs> well, I have to assume that you're a busy man, but that you also have room to talk to new people, whether it's technology folks that need help in telling their story or getting the right narrative out there or on the client side, folks that are looking to assemble the right stack or Mm -hmm. make sure they're using the right technology correctly. For folks listening, Dom, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you and why should people reach out? Yeah, well, so, so you've, you've done a pretty good job of saying the reasons why uh, people should reach out. It's usually if you've got a, a cool technology that you you sort of know in your bones, you could be doing a better job of, of getting people to understand it. Like That's the core thing that, that I, I tend to do for vendors that manifests in business development, in content, in connections sometimes like uh, but, but anything to do with that problem and yeah on the property management side but uh, sometimes i help um, companies with with selection with understanding options out there in the market just making good technology decisions but yeah if you want to if you want to reach me if you want to download any of the content that's on the site go to 20for20.com so 20for20.com or you can find me on twitter at dom beverage dom i've got a ton of respect for you and i'm i'm really glad we were able to finally make this happen thanks a ton for joining today Awesome. Thank you.